Hi, I'm Marilyn Dennis, and this is Marilyn Dennis Does a Podcast. This episode, I'll be speaking with television personality and best-selling author, the bubbly and effervescent Ross Matthews about his weight loss journey and so much more. He lost 50 pounds in the middle of the pandemic, maintaining that weight loss, no small feat. And although Ross has been very open about his journey, we're going to dig a little deeper into what motivated him, how he lost the weight, how he maintained it, and his well-being today. Also, we're going to talk about everything Ross Matthews and find out what his recipe for success is. So there's two camps, Ross Matthews, during this lockdown. There's the camp that has gained weight, and there's the camp that has not gained weight, in fact, actively pursued losing weight. You are the latter, losing how much weight? Well, you know, it's about 60 pounds now. Is that is crazy? Because last time we talked to you, it was 50. Yeah, yeah. No, we've just I've just been fine-tuning and and figuring it out. I know. I understand. Listen, uh, the first part of the quarantine was uh, not great for me in terms of my weight. You know, it was really going up there. And I just, you know, stuff happened where I just decided, you know, I'm not going to come out of this thing having lost any more. You know, I didn't want to lose my health. I didn't want to lose um, my entire wardrobe of clothes. I didn't want to lose it. And, uh, and I really wanted to gain something. And, and Marilyn, we talked a little bit about this on your show, but what I wanted to gain was, was my health. It's the one thing I could gain. It's the one thing I had control over what I put in my body. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I decided to sort of really grab onto. So we want to go into that mind of yours and, you know, you have to have like, we've, we've all done this. We've tiptoed into it and ah, there's the chips, you know, but yeah. this one was different. Why was this one different? Well, for me, it was different because of what happened to me during uh, quarantine and or the pandemic. And it was tough for everybody. Um, but specifically, my story was that my mother, who I was so, 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 so close uh, to, uh, passed away from breast cancer uh, in May. And, you know, it was just hard, extra hard. And I got to be there just like I was there for my father. 16 years ago, 17 years ago, when he died, you know, to hold your parents as they pass away is a beautiful gift. It is. If you get to look, if you, if you can change your perception, you can see it as a beautiful gift. It doesn't feel like that in the moment, but it is. Mm-hmm. And what I learned and what I really paid attention to this time, holding my mom uh, when she died was how, how at the end of the day, at the end of your road, it is just you and your body. It's just you and your body. Mm-hmm. And so I, I looked at my body in the mirror and I apologized for everything I had done to it. Every yo-yo diet, every up and down, every mean thing I thought about it, uh, every mean thing I said to myself in my head and I apologized and I said, no more. I'm only going to treat you with the respect you deserve. And so I just made that choice. You made that choice. So then making that choice, you have to say it up in your head. You have to yeah. speak it out loud. And so when you are, uh, and I, and it takes a major time in history for us to change, I think sometimes, and it's sometimes devastating, but you turn it into a good thing, as you just mentioned. So where did you begin? Like the, I, I always feel this way. I've lost 30 pounds twice. <laughs> and I always go, I always say to myself, I always say to myself, okay, don't go back to that again. But I, I'm not down on myself because I'm slowly losing weight again. Not that I'm overweight. I just want to be healthier. I got to run after a two-year-old grandchild. But um, I, I thought, you know, it's the first yeah. week, the first three days, the first three <laughs> weeks that are the most difficult. So how, uh, how, did, how did you start and uh, what did you have and not have? 
Well, I think, you know, when you said, it, I, I, I thought it up here, you're pointing at your head. That's where it starts. You know, you, people think of weight loss as uh, physical, but it's so yeah. mental because you're making the choices. So I just made, I just like literally pictured a switch going like, okay, we are just switching. You know, we don't make those choices anymore. And I started by committing. And then I actually reached out to a nutritionist, which I thought would be like a bazillion dollars that, you know, only people like Charlize Theron got a nutritionist, but it was right. way more affordable than I thought. And I sat down and, and I did it all through Zoom. And I I, ta- I said, here's my goal. How should I eat? How, I don't understand food. I feel like, you know, there've been so, so many times I've gotten so confused over food. And so walk me through it. What is it? What is a healthy fat? What is it that? And so I started learning and then I just applied it. And I thought, you know, choice by choice, they'll add up, but you know, lunch, make a good choice. Dinner, make a good choice. Breakfast tomorrow, make a good choice. And is there intermittent fasting in that too? A little bit? No, I don't want anything like that. I don't want to do math. It's too hard for me. Listen, it was hard enough in uh, high school. Math's not for me. Don't make me count, Marilyn. It just is about like, what is a, like, for example, what's a portion size? Four ounces. What's your four ounces? Your palm. So, yeah. So a piece of chicken, you should eat about your palms amount of chicken. And then as many leafy greens as you want. Oh, okay. I can do that. But no, yeah. I don't want to weigh anything or count anything. I don't want anything to be off limits. I'm so with you on that. It's a deck of cards. Okay. I can, I can, I, I like, I don't think a lot of us in show busy are very good in math. No, girl, it is not for me. Uh, it wasn't for me. That is not for me now. So, but if you could tell me like visually eat my palm, I understand that. So, <laughs> uh, you know, but it was, it was hard, but then, but then it just started getting normal. And that's yeah. the thing, like as hard as it is to, ch- to break your pattern of what you're, what, what what people are eating. And I know I've been there my whole life. It, the new pattern becomes the new normal, you know, and it becomes very doable. Yeah, it does. And well, you, you are such a, a motivator and you stay, you, you, you yourself stay motivated, but a lot of people do do that really down self-talk, yes. uh, the dialogue it's messed up. And even if you have a friend or like my husband would say, what are you doing? I go, I don't know. I'm going to get rid of that bad Marilyn and mm. start just being a good Marilyn. But I also felt that journaling is a good idea too. And kind of being accountable to yourself without having to count calories. You Absolutely. Know I mean? But something, something clicked for me when I realized that the way I was talking to myself, which when I would make, when I'd order pizza and I would just be like, you dumb a-hole, what are you doing? What, like you just were so mean. And I thought, wow, Ross, if anybody else talked to you like that, you wouldn't stand for it. And you would never talk to anybody like that. So why are we not treating ourselves the way we would treat anybody else that we love? And you know, that is a great message. And that's why I love, I I love so much about you. Let's talk about this wonderful book called Name Drop. Oh, and at the very beginning of it, at the beginning of it, which I, I like to read prologues and everything like that, but yeah. it says, this is dedicated to everyone who never got to sit at the cool kids table in the cafeteria. You can sit at my table anytime, but you have to share your tater tots. <laughs> well, one, I, I, I proudly stand on the forefront, on the front lines of saying tater tot is the most underrated potato product. So I, I'm, I'm there. Um, Orida, Orida. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but really, you know, this book is, is, uh, is written from the point of view, the POV of a super fan. That's me. I love pop culture. I cannot believe uh, it's almost 20 years now I've been working on television. Um, and the things, and you, you can relate. I'm sure sometimes you meet the people and you're like, I can't believe I've met, I met this person. Um, 
and I, like, I remember being on your show once and Paul Reiser was there and I was like, yeah. Paul Reiser from Mad About You? And you were so nice. You let me like ask him a couple interview questions. And then afterwards we were like, I don't know if Paul Reiser knew he was getting Ross Matthews. To- <laughs> right? <laughs> That's right. But he was wonderful and lovely with this conversation backstage. And, and uh, I just was pinching myself and name drop is those kind of stories. It's like, yeah. you know, I'm a kid from a farm town who suddenly found himself here in, in show business. And so it's written as the, the super fan who won the golden ticket and OMG, you guys, sometimes the people I've met are better than I ever imagined. And sometimes I didn't meet them on their best day. Uh, but the reason I dedicate it to all the kids the, who never felt cool in the cafeteria is because that's kind of what it feels like in Hollywood. You know, I, mm. I get to be there, but I certainly don't feel like I'm one of the cool kids in the cafeteria, but I'm just thrilled to be in the cafeteria. Yeah. And and I will relate to that like hundred percent because when the cool kids even happen in broadcasting here in Toronto, mm-hmm. I'm never invited to those dinner parties. Are <laughs> you just, serious? But you're no, the coolest kid of them all. But I, but I'm okay with that because I like to stay behind. Yeah. Like I, I'm okay with that. I like to observe, maybe parachute in and then leave. I don't need to be invited to all the parties. You, you and I are the of, same, the same. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You mm-hmm. kind of remind me of the late, great Joan Collins. <gasps> now, Oh, Joan I, is a great friend of mine. She was a great, oh, Jackie, oh, Jackie, 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 sorry, Jackie, not, yeah, Jackie, sorry, Jackie, Collins. Jackie, Jackie, Joan's sister, Jackie was um, so good about people coming to her with stories, but she would never let out too much information. She would exactly. change the name. Tell us a little bit more about her, Jackie. Well, you know, it's funny. There's a, there's a, a chapter in this book, Name Drop, about Jackie Collins. And uh, I love that you bring her up. You know, she was prolific. Oh, you have it flagged right there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, see, this is why you're so good at what you do because you just, it was a perfect little segue. Yeah. I, uh, I loved her and I met her on Twitter actually. You know, she, she watched everything. She had five DVRs in her house. She was the most up-to-date. She had her finger on the pulse of everything. And one day there's a tweet that goes, um, Ross Matthews is hilarious on Chelsea lately. And I was like, are you, what? Jackie calls. And then she went on Craig Ferguson's show. And she started talking about me on Craig Ferguson. Do you know Ross Matthews? He's fabulous. And I was like, girl, you're talking about me. We should probably meet. And she was like, well, let's get dinner. Mr. Chow, darling, in Beverly Hills. What? So I showed up thinking like, is this for reals? And like, it was her, it was Jackie. And she was so fabulous. Like full diamonds, blazer, um, heels, the hair, perfect. Which oh, she did herself, by the way. That really, she did herself. Mm-hmm. And we just hit it off. And she was so filthy and just told these great stories. It was so opinionated about everybody that we just this friendship blossomed. You know, she loved gossiping, and I loved listening. And uh, I would just go to her house, and she would walk me around and show me her art collection. And I remember one point she goes, oh, I've owned this house for 25 years, darling. And oh, look right there. That's my house too. Um, but I rented out to Al Pacino. <gasps> and then she walks away. I'm like, I go, you love saying that. She was like, oh, darling, whatever do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> but what was it about her that people would come to her with stories, but they knew that it was yeah. safe with her? What was it about her? Well, she it's the same philosophy I have. And I, I say about the book Name Drop is, is no celebrities were harmed in the making of this book. You know, right. I'm going to tell the truth, um, but it's going to be my truth. And it's not going to be my opinion about, about if somebody's a good person or not. And Jackie did the same thing. She was able to hear these true stories and then um, write these like sort of fictional accounts inspired by them. You know, so uh, hers were fictional. Mine, mine's are autobiographical, but... They, um, 
they just were juicy. You know, mm-hmm. Jackie knew mm-hmm. how to milk a story, but not really hurt anybody or burn a bridge. And also great to interview. Oh, also, so that she was the best. And she was very quiet about when she passed away. People didn't know that she was ill, did they? I remember. Well, those friends did, but we didn't know. Yeah. I, I didn't know. I had, And I was friends with her and I saw her months before she came to do my podcast, Straight Talk. And we in person and. She looked thin and I kind of remember thinking like whatever diet she's on, she's got to cool it because, you know, Hollywood people are always on diets and things. And, mm-hmm. and then I was in a car being driven home from an airport and uh, it came on the radio. Jackie called and said, what? I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Very sad. She was such a, a colorful person. So many people in this book. And I, I, I love the fact that some of those meetings with people, not so good, like you say, a bad day. Yeah. Um, and some of them very good. And some of them surprising. I get sad. Like, it's almost like, I don't know how you feel about this, but because you've been exposed to more celebrities, I think on a personal level Mm -hmm. is that I don't want to be disappointed. Like I remember interviewing Elton John going, please don't disappoint me. Make it, make you make sure that you're everything that you ever. And he was wonderful. Yeah. Right. But sometimes we get disappointed. We do. Um, and there are certain people I don't want to meet because of that, you know, um, yeah. like I spend uh, every, an hour a day with Rachel Maddow. And so I'm good not meeting her, even though she followed the, the show, followed me on uh, Instagram. No big deal. It's no big deal. Um, but I, uh, I don't want to just because if I, if she were to be awful or have an off day, then there goes an hour of my day. And I look forward to it so much. Barefoot Contessa is the same, you know, I watch her every single day and I can't, I can't risk that. Um, because I know what it feels like, and you do too, when you yeah. meet somebody who you just revere and respect mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and they're having a, a bad day. I also think about from their point of view, I mean, Elton John, literally every time he meets somebody new, they have an expectation and a hope that he will reach that. I mean, that's got to be exhausting too. Mm-hmm. It is, I'm sure. Yeah. He, uh, but it's been a couple of times now, he never disappoints. So Good. I never yeah, met him. Yeah. I would love yeah. to meet him. Yeah, he's pretty amazing. He's the one that said to me, I got a cute story for you. When I interviewed him about 11 years ago, he came on the TV show, which was a really big deal. And, you know, I, I, I mean, I was, there was his boyfriend, David Furnish in the background going, you know, everything's okay. Cause David, his partner's from Toronto. Oh, I didn't know David's from Toronto. Okay. He's from Toronto. And so there was a point where I'm wearing glasses and uh, uh, he said to me that he got his eyes done because he, you know, because it, he's been wearing glasses, he's known for his glasses. I said, well, why are you still wearing glasses? He said, no, I had that, that. Whatever, whatever that thing is called. LASIK. Have you, LASIK. Mm-hmm. He said, now I still wear my glasses, but now I can see everybody. Oh, my, and I, really? and he goes, you really, so I, it's so then a couple of days, a couple of hours later, he meets me in the hallway. He goes, you should really book that appointment. You'll it's life changing. Oh. That's the kind of guy he is. That's the kind <laughs> of magical moments that you have, you know? Yeah. When you yeah, have those I'm, like human moments where he's there yeah. and he's Elton John, but he's remembering that, you know, you should yeah. get LASIK. I know a guy I can get you. I love those moments when yeah. they're normal. You know, who's so normal like that is, and I, I get to work with Drew Barrymore every day now. I, I see that you, you two are very, so good together. It's great chemistry had you had you met her before no not I mean I think on a red carpet years ago like at Charlie's Angels one or two or something I asked a question to her or something but no and I was friends with people who work on the show and you know they said let's bring you in for one segment and so I did one from my house in Palm Springs on Zoom and and then I came to New York and then I was in and then I just kind of never left and that's sort of the history of how I, I get jobs, Marilyn, whether it was Leno or Chelsea or RuPaul. And now Drew is, I just kind of show up. And I think, you know, Jay Leno put me through the showbiz, 
you know, 101 boot camp. And uh, the advice he gave me all those years ago was show up early, stay late, and be nice to everybody. And I really think that's how I get these gigs all the time is just because I, I treat it like, you know, a, a real job when it's kind of anything but. But you're a great conversationalist. And who did you learn that from? That's a great question. I think it was my dad. My dad was like the ringleader of every barbecue, the ringmaster, you know, like people would come in and he would know how to get where, make sure that person has a drink and make sure tell the joke and get every, make sure that person met that person. And to me, conversation is like music, right? It has to have a cadence. It has to have, it has to be balanced. It has to um, feel right. It, it re- there's a rhythm to it. So I don't know. I just, you do it so well. We well, no, we think you. we th- we think of you. We go no. We'll get Ross Matthews. See if he's available. We'd like to talk with him because you are you are. I I was told a long time ago, you're having a dinner party. You have to have good guests. Mm-hmm. Guests have a responsibility to be good guests, to be mm-hmm. conversationalists, to add something to the table, not the food, the conversation. And uh, you are magical at that. Well, that is a you. gift. You have to be curious. You have to be interested and interesting. You know, it's funny. Yeah. I'm much better at it in front of a group of people. Like at a dinner party, I would be fine. Um, in an interview situation, you know, with a that has a point we're driving to, I'm fine. But sometimes I do find it awkward one-on-one with a new person. Uh, I mm-hmm. Isn't that odd? I find, And sometimes I find myself like struggling. And I think, Ross, you could do this. If, if it was, I'd be way more comfortable if it was a crowd of 350 people and I could get it up on stage and do it. But sometimes one-on-one, I, I, I do find it, the, that, that ease but, goes away. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Well, it's cause you're, cause it's, I, I think it, I, I think I find that a little bit too. It's cause you're right. You're, you're one-on-one. So the focus is just on that person. And do you not find sometimes when you get nervous, I do, that I have to drive the conversation and I'm thinking, shut up, let that person talk. Well, and that's part of being an interviewer, right? I find I, I constantly have to keep myself from trying to produce the conversation. And also, I, mm. I, I find it difficult to, to talk about myself as much because our mm. job is to get the story from other people, right? Mm. And I that's think that's right. why when I, that, that's what I meant by driving to something, like what the point of the conversation, when it's just a one-on-one equal conversation, I do, I, it's, that's exactly the thing as I struggle with trying not to like, produce it. That's right. That's true. That's true. Well, 20 minutes, uh, 20 minutes, 20 uh, years in the business that you would want to do that. That's what, yeah, but that's... you do, you must do that too, right? I mean, you're, cause you interview people constantly. Oh, I will have my sister say to me, you know, you're interviewing me right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yo, my, I um, am? my, my partner oh. has said that to me too. He's like, oh. because like somebody just came to fix the dryer here in the building. And like, I am inquisitive and I'm finding out and I want to know, I want them to know that I care you know? And- uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. How long have you been doing this? As, you yes, know what I exactly. figure, you know, you know, you and I would be very good at later on in life. What? Customs officials at the border. <laughs> <laughs> that That's yeah. how long, how did you get? What did you buy? Oh, you bought that at Target. That's fabulous. That how is- much was it? <laughs> Where'd you get those pants? How was the vacation? <laughs> Who'd you go with? Honestly, so I would love nothing more. Yeah, I know. It'd be so much fun. <laughs> uh, speaking of new partner, you got a new partner. Let's yeah. talk about that a little bit, if you don't mind. That's exciting. I will. I'm yeah, happy yeah. for you. You know, I was, uh, I'm very, I've never been happier in a, in a year where it could have just been such sadness. You know, I just, yeah. I, the, I think maybe my mom's somewhere fixing things for me, but I, I met somebody in, um, January of, um, 2020 and, um, it, I'm just so happy. So it's been over a year now and, um, that's great. totally happy and in love and, um, happy. 
That's so good because I think sometimes we wonder, and I did too, because I was single for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. I'd been married and then uh, there was the Sahara Desert. Really? And then and then my my friend came back to, to say hello and I ended up marrying him from uh, grade se- uh, nine, grade nine. Oh my God. And that happened. It's a, it's a story that could be, it could be a Hallmark movie. But the It thing should is, be a Hallmark movie, by the way, and you should write it. I should write it. I should write it. But I, I, I often think like everyone has a story. Um, and, and when you look back, uh, on how you got to where you are now, um, what is, what is the, what would you say? And I, it's a therapeutic question. Who hasn't gone to therapy? What would you say to your younger self about managing the journey and navigating it? Because I think people need to hear that. Well, you know, I think what I would like to say that to, to, a younger version would just to be more confident in this area. I was very confident on a stage or very confident making a joke or something like that. Creatively, I was confident. But personally, I remember in the early days, if somebody were to show interest in me, I would think, what is their sick fetish? You know, because I just, I thought, what? What? What is what? wrong with you? Yeah, because I just thought, I'm not interested in you if you're interested in this. And And it was because I didn't think that I was sexy or that I, I could only be the clown. I couldn't be sexy or I could only, you know what I'm saying? Like I just struggled with, with owning my confidence in my body. And, and this, and that came from a ton of different places. And so what I'd like to tell myself is to be more confident, but of course that would just fall down. Confidence is something you earn. Confidence mm-hmm. is, I think in some cases, like I got, I have confidence now because I, I see how I'm reflected in people's eyes my partner included. And that gives me confidence. So anything that I could say to my younger self would just fall on deaf ears. I think, I think I needed to earn it. That's a good answer. That's a good answer. And I just remember maybe you were like this in high school too. Uh, You know, you didn't feel like you were the attractive one or the talented one, but you were the funny one. And that got you the pass. It got me the pass. I mean, humor was my weapon. Uh, My dad, you, if you read my first book, um, uh, man up. Uh, it talks about how my dad taught me how to swear and how to tell a joke because he knew I couldn't defend myself with my fists, you know, and I was growing mm-hmm. up a little gay cartoon human in a farm town. So I would have to like make the joke first, or, uh, if a bully came at me, I would just sort of chop them in half with a couple swear words and make fun of the something on them. And that kept them at bay. That was my weapon. Uh, but it, when you are known as the funny one, it does put you in a box, you know, and you aren't allowed to also be the sexy one or the um, uh, whatever, fill in the blank until you realize when you're older. And I think a lot of that's self-imposed, you know, I think, no, this is my box. I'm comfortable in this box. This is the box I'm in. So uh, I'm not blaming anybody else, but something you find out when you're older is that like, oh my God, the boxes are made of cardboard for a reason because you can tear them down. (laughs) Just like go to whatever you want, be whatever you are. And that's so liberating. It is very liberating. Okay. Now, Ross Matthews, uh, how many books have you written so far? Well, two so far, and I have a great idea for my next. Yeah. Okay. And you will be writing that like uh, uh, during lockdown and you're writing it now. What's happening? I don't know. I'm ruminating. It's marinating. It's marinating. Okay. Cause you know, we'll 
We'll talk to you about that because uh, yeah. Ross is part of the Maryland Dennis Show crew, which I love. I'm so glad you joined our family. Oh, and I'm the so other happy. thing I have to ask you is that I'm so happy for you with all the things that you do with working with Drew. It's magical. RuPaul, let's uh, talk about that. The dream. Talk to me about that. Well, you know, that's that. Uh, I, I mentioned it briefly, but, you know, I just was a, a viewer of the show uh, when it was on Logo for the first six seasons. Um, and I came, I went on twice uh, as a guest host or guest judge, you know. And loved it and couldn't believe I was sitting next to RuPaul and just was thrilled. And then they said to me, do you want to just like on season seven, do you want to like do more? And I was like, yeah, I'll do more. And then I went and I started doing more. And then they took a photo of the four of us, me and Carson and Michelle Visage and, and Ru, Carson Cressley and Rue. And then like it came out that we were the guest judges for the season. And I was like, oh, is that like an official thing? And then... Then they asked me back for season eight. And then it was just like, you know, you think for these big Hollywood shows that there's like focus groups and chemistry tests. And they, right. no, it was just like, do you want to be here? Do you want to be here? Yeah, let's do it. So I guess we're here. And then, okay, we'll just stay. And okay. And that's just how it worked. Like there was never a big meeting. <laughs> there was never like a big offer. We, I just sort of showed up and it worked and we never left. That's such a great show. So this would, one of the things that you and I've talked about before is being uh, a younger person and watching this and yes. then being a part of this. So many drag queens that I've talked to for the Canadian version of it have said, I now have the opportunity after watching RuPaul's Drag Race in the States to do this in Canada. Uh, I never thought there would be an opportunity. I think of those people. I think of, uh, you know, their their desti destiny, and then they're there. Is it a tough thing to judge for you? Is it? No, uh, okay. it's not. It's because I love this art form. You know, I love drag. I love drag at this level as much as I love drag in a dive bar, uh, because the the intention of of drag is to entertain, is to be right. fierce, right? It, you don't have to be a bazillion bazillionaire who can afford everything in sequence to be fierce. Um, I come to the judges panel as as a super fan of drag. And I I judge from the POV of would I follow them on Instagram? Will I remember their name or remember their look? Um, and would I buy a ticket to their show? And so that for me, is very easy. I don't come as somebody who's been doing drag for 30 years like Rue. That would yeah. give me anxiety because they're looking to Rue to follow in Rue's uh, you know, footsteps. Um, I, I just know what I bring to the table, which is what the viewers bring to the show. Right. You know? Right. Right. Do you make me care about how you do drag? And so as the show evolved since you've been there in that the talent is bigger, better, uh, I, I, in many ways, you know, one, I think the talent is better than ever because um, these queens uh, understand the platform and the platform has grown exponentially. Um, but also, and we talked a little bit about this before, you know, I grew up in a time when I couldn't see anyone LGBTQ uh, on television. I didn't, I remember being like eight years old, knowing I was gay, not sure what gay was, but knowing I was that and thinking, I remember asking myself, what does a gay grown up look like? And I didn't know if you could be a gay grown up, I didn't see it on TV. I certainly didn't see it in my town. Mm -hmm. And so you think about kids now, our show has been on for 11 years, almost 12 years. And a lot of our Queens are 20 and 21. They've lived in a world growing up since they're nine or 10 years old, mm -hmm. watching RuPaul's drag race. I would grow up in my gen generations before me grow up. And it would take us a long time to, before we figured out if we were okay 
before we could decide what we wanted to do with our lives, right? These kids are skipping that step. They get to grow up dreaming about if they want to be a drag queen at 11, 12 years old, how they're going to do drag, prepping, learning. And then that's why they're these extraordinary artists at 20 years old, because they skipped the whole part where they had to question whether they deserved it or not. And I think that's why these, these queens and the show is at this level, because queer artists have never been able to be at this level before. Right, right. Well, it's that such an sense. excellent, it makes total sense. And it's, uh, it's inspiring for sure to watch. It's and it's great. so much fun to watch. It's fun to watch. It's fun Ugh. to watch. Now we have to wrap this podcast up, but I want, and I don't want to do that, but <laughs> I want to touch on a little bit of everything. And I'm so glad that you've been so wonderful about uh, chatting with me about some things that were private, like new, new guy and yeah. some things that uh, maybe a new book coming out. So I love yeah. about uh, that. Where do people follow you? Uh, well, listen, I, I would, I would come talk to you and you want to do this again tomorrow. I yeah. love you. And so, uh, uh, I do. And hello Ross is all my social media, but you know, I just have to say, and I say it, and I said it on your 2000 show, but when I met you, you know, you treated me like I just belonged there with you and you've just been so kind since the second I ever met you. You have been so kind to me since that, that first moment we met. And so you are just one of those people who are even better in real life. So thank you for being so kind to me always. Oh, Ross Matthews, the feeling is mutual. I'm so glad that we got to talk off the TV screen and on the podcast and we'll have to do it again. And how long have you been doing podcasts now? Oh my gosh, we started my podcast in 2014. So going on seven years. Yeah, we were, the, I'm the Lewis and Clark of podcasts, but you, I, you know what? I, let me just say why I love it so much. I started it after my show on E! was canceled and there were so many executives between my thoughts and my mouth and the listeners, so many opinions and focus groups and awful, awful. I wanted to start something where it literally was my voice to your ears. That there was nothing between the content, the the intention, and the audience. And um, I love it. I love this medium. It's, it does feel like the wild, wild west, west of broadcasting. And it, it does, should. It does. It should. It should always be that way. Uh, being in that I'm in the conventional broadcast world, doing a podcast for me is so much fun. I get to talk to friends like you. Ross Matthews, uh, stay safe, my friend, and we'll touch base, I know, again very soon. I adore you. Thank you. Marilyn Dennis does a podcast. New episodes every week. You can download or subscribe on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. 